Well, as I mentioned, we're going to continue on the same exposition of the book of Hebrews that we've been engaged in all summer long. And one of the central themes of this particular letter or sermon is the idea that there's a better thing to be received through the person of Jesus Christ. Better in what way? Well, better sacrifices that take away our sins forever and give us a, a peaceful understanding that we're truly forgiven. A better priest who doesn't have to offer sacrifices for himself, uh, but instead through one sacrifice, that priest, namely Christ, makes it possible to be forgiven forever. And one hope, a better hope, in knowing that our destiny is not just here on the earth, but our destiny is with the Lord in heaven forever and ever, where we see his face and where we can worship him and enjoy his presence. And so if you could think of one word that describes this particular letter or sermon, it's the idea of better. Things are better as we progress on through all that God has revealed. Now, I have to admit, I was a bit hard-pressed when I was given the assignment of preaching Hebrews chapter 11 because it is like the roll call of faith. And there are all these people who are listed there, and the question in my mind was, who to focus on? Do I focus on Abel or Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, or the Jewish people who took over the land of Canaan under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb? Do I focus on Rahab the prostitute or the judges, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, the King David, Samuel, and all the prophets, and all those who suffered for their faith by serving the living and the true God? Who do I focus on? Well, I decided Abraham and Sarah. How can you go wrong in choosing them? They're like the power couple of the Old Testament. Uh, they... Uh, they have more verses devoted to them than any others in this text. And also, their life events are foundational for all that we would think about in walking by faith in this time. Abraham, if you remember, in the book of Galatians, is referred to as the man of faith. And Sarah, his lovely wife, is called a holy woman who hoped in God. Now, there's two people we can listen to and get a good message from. So we'll concentrate on them today as we come to the text. First of all, let me explain what is meant by the term faith. There are a number of key words in the Old and the New Testament that talk about faith. In particular, two Hebrew words, hemin, which means to believe or to trust in someone, or batak, which means to confide in or to lean upon or to trust. And so when we think of having faith, it's just not this intellectual faith or some kind of assent that we're making that certain things are true, but there is a, an element of leaning and trusting on someone or on some particular work done on our behalf. In the New Testament, two Greek words are used. Both of them are similar, pistis, which is the noun in pistuen, which is the verb, and it simply means that faith by which we believe, the idea of trusting, resting, or leaning upon Christ. So when you think of faith, realize it's just this element of trust 
more than just mere intellectual faith, more than just faith in a crisis that might uh, be whelming up in your life, but a long-lasting, trusting faith of dependence upon Jesus Christ. In the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which is one of our key documents as Presbyterians, it asks the question, what is faith in Jesus Christ? And the answer is given, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace, whereby we receive and rest upon Him alone for salvation as He is offered in the gospel. So backtrack a minute. It's a saving faith. What that means is it's not something that you produce yourself. It's not an exercise of your will. It's not some kind of claim or dependence upon past background or your family or the way you were brought up or anything like that. Saving faith is a gift from God. It's something that God gives to you freely when we seek after Him. And when we receive it, then we learn to rest upon Christ alone, to trust Him for the work that He's done on the cross on our behalf. And in that way, we can know we're forgiven. And we can know we have a place with Him in heaven. Those are all the assurances that we're given through this idea of faith. John Calvin put it this way, that faith does not proceed from ourselves, but it is the fruit of spiritual regeneration. God changes our heart. He gives us the gift of faith to believe and trust in Christ. And as we do, then we experience this enduring faith that lasts for the rest of our life. So let's look at Abraham and Sarah just to get a picture of what this faith is like in real time. Because they went through a lot of very difficult, challenging circumstances. Perhaps you can identify with them. I certainly do as I read about them. Look at verse 8. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. A faith that endures is trusting God while living in the midst of uncertainties. And it was an uncertain time for Abraham. Abraham didn't come from this idyllic, godly family that had long roots of worshiping the living God. In fact, if you look back to Joshua chapter 24, you'll see that it says about his family background, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, and Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, his brother, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through all the land of Canaan, and made his offspring many, and I gave him Isaac. And so don't think for a moment that Abraham had this perfect background. He, he's kind of like you and me, have come from all sorts of interesting backgrounds, and God has reached into our life and brought us to that point where he's changed our heart, given us faith, so that we can walk with him. Now, the text says that God called Abraham and he obeyed by faith to go to that place he was to receive as an inheritance. God called him to leave his family, leave his hometown, so to speak, and to move all the way to this unknown place that would become his land. I mean, think about how difficult that must have been. 
for Abraham to leave behind his family, his friends, his, his property, his business, family connections and wealth, everything that was familiar, and then to, to go by faith, trusting that God would take him to a good spot, that, but that place which was foreign and unfamiliar to him. He did not know where he was going. And perhaps there are times you feel like that too. There are times in your own life where you feel compelled to do a certain thing. It's hard to do. And you don't know how it's going to end up. You don't know how it's going to work itself out. And that's that faith of trusting God while living in the midst of uncertainties. And that's exactly where Sarah and Abraham were. Secondly, uh, this faith that endures is building your life upon God's promises. And we see that in verses 9 and 10. By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By the way, this phrase, uh, where it says, by faith, occurs 17 times in this short little chapter of chapter 11. And so you can see that's really the main point of chapter 11 to help us to understand what enduring faith is. And so Abraham obeyed what God had told him to do. He gathered up all his possessions and Sarah, his wife, and they struck out across the desert, going to a place where they did not know. And when they got there, it wasn't as if it was a land that was unoccupied. It was full of all these people. And so he had to live not in a city, in a building of his own, but he had to live in tents. But he did so understanding that the promise of God was true. And the promise of God, even though it might take longer than he expected, would come to its conclusion and its fulfillment in God's time. So he lived in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the son and grandson of the promise of God. At this time, it's important to note that Abram, as he was called, who was uh, noted to be the father of many, had absolutely no children. Later, when his name gets changed by God to Abraham, meaning the father of the multitudes, he still had no children, but God was going to bless him shortly after that. And so you see, even in his name, this idea of trusting God by faith. In verse 10, it says, He was looking forward, trusting in God's promises to that city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. Abraham was looking not only for a land that would be his, made out of dirt and rocks and trees and all the rest, but he also was anticipating that God had a better promise for him as he walked by faith and that better promise was a heavenly one a city that would be built by God in Psalm 87 it talks about this place on the holy mount stands the city that God founded the Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob glorious things of you are spoken O city of our God that's what Abraham was looking for. That it was a promise that God had made that he would receive a land, but he knew in his heart 
as God, as it were, preached the gospel to him, that this was a far more extensive promise than just the dirt of Israel and the walls of Jerusalem. No, it was a heavenly promise, and we'll see more of that in short order. A third way that faith endures is through trusting God so that you can receive unexpected blessings. There are times when we receive blessings from God that are completely unexpected in our life. We, we don't even anticipate them, and they come anyways by God's gracious hand. And Abraham experienced that too. Listen to what happens. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man... And him, as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable sands of grain by the seashore. Sarah's name, by the way, means princess, a beautiful woman, she's called, in other parts of scripture. In fact, uh, she was so beautiful that Abraham didn't necessarily act very husbandly when he explained that she was his sister. In one situation where he was worried that he might be killed because of her beauty. Well, it doesn't give a good testimony for Abraham, but it does say something about Sarah, that she was quite a lovely woman and a real blessing to Abraham. The other thing about Sarah was that she had no children. And that was a heartbreaking situation to her. She was barren. And she had hopes of children at some point, but they never came. But here in the midst of that comes a promise from God that God would bring children to Abraham and Sarah. How is that possible? At that point, Abraham is 99 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. How is that possible for children to come? But the thing for us to remember is that with God, all things are possible. And he makes this promise and they could hardly believe that it's true. In fact, at one point, when the angel of the Lord speaks to Abraham that about this time next year, a child shall be born to Sarah, Sarah overhears it, and she laughs in surprise and wonder that such a thing could even be true, perhaps with even a little bit of doubt in her heart. But as time goes on, we find that God does fulfill the promise. And he brings forth the son. So in Genesis 21, this unexpected blessing comes. And his name is Isaac, their son. In fact, the name Isaac means he laughs. Whether it was God laughing or Abraham laughing or maybe Sarah herself laughing. I'm not sure which. But in either case, God blesses them and brings forth the son. So that later, Sarah says, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. It was a statement of great joy, enthusiasm, and blessing that God had brought something completely unexpected into her life. Now, I'm going to guess if you're like me, there are times you have made plans, maybe very intricate plans to do one thing or another, and it didn't quite turn out the way you expected. That happened to you before? 
I'm sure it has. At age 25, quite a long time ago, when I was a student in seminary, I was getting near to the very end of seminary, was also engaged to be married to my future wife, Cheryl McFarlane, making all sorts of plans. A friend of mine said to me, Marcus, this is going to be your last time to have the opportunity to go camping out in the wilderness for an entire week. I agreed. That sounded like a good plan to me. So we made our plans to go on an extended backpacking trip to Yosemite. We were going to go up to the high parts of Yosemite near Mark, uh, Mount Tyrell and to also have the opportunity to just hike all around there uh, and enjoy the uh, high country of Yosemite. And so we made our plans. We filled our backpacks full of food. You can imagine two 25-year-old guys going for a week. We had lots of food in those backpacks. We uh, got up ridiculously early, drove up to the trailhead, and launched into our hike. We didn't get too far that first day. We made it up to Nevada Falls in Little Yosemite Valley and decided that we would camp there for the night on our way up to the high country. And so we set up our tents. We had a great dinner, packed everything up. I realized this was bear country. I better do something about my food. <laughs> and so uh, we put it all into a satchel and and there weren't any high trees around, so I thought, where can I, I hang it? There was a bridge that was nearby, and it had this raging torrent of water that was flowing with it, underneath it, down over to the waterfall. I thought, no bear in their right mind is going to go after this food. It's going to be too difficult. So I hung my food under the bridge, and we went to sleep. Well, during the night, we heard a bear, some bear noises, and you know, like you always hear in Yosemite, didn't think too much of it, got up the next morning ready for breakfast, some eggs and bacon and potatoes and all sorts of other good food that I brought fresh from home. I raced over there to get my satchel, and it was gone. In fact, all that was hanging there was just this piece of rope with threads on it that obviously had been taken. I called my friend over. We were completely puzzled as to what happened. We sat there and just thought, how did this happen? This is what I figured. I think there were two bears. <laughs> there was one on the bridge. There was one on the bank. And the one on the bridge, with his paws, sort of pushed the rope back and forth until the one on the edge, it got close enough to him, he grabbed it, or she grabbed it, and ran off into the woods and ate everything up. So sure enough, we uh, explored a little bit after that. We found the satchel. It was completely torn apart. All the food was eaten. All kinds of bear slobber all over. <laughs> Nothing was redeemable. And then the question was, what do we do? We're planning on a whole week in the highlands of Yosemite. Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? I said to my friend, you know, we're right by this really big peak, Half Dome. We can climb up that. I have a few nuts left in my pack and some raisins. He had a few lemon drops. We figured we could get through the day. So we climbed up on top of Half Dome and kind of licking our wounds began to survey all of Yosemite and it was glorious. We could see all the sights, all the big peaks, all the amazing rock formations. And up at the far east end of the valley, I saw a little spot 
It was no more than a ridge. There were some clouds up there. It's called Clouds Rest. And I said to myself that day, I don't know when and I don't know how I'm going to get up there. Fast forward 43 years. 43 years later is today. <laughs> and uh, Lord willing, in eight days, my sons and I are going to be in Yosemite. And the first hike on the list for me is Cloud's Rest. You see, that's an unexpected blessing to think that 43 years ago I thought about climbing that, that particular peak up to that ridge, never dreaming that I would do so with my five sons and enjoy the sights and the joy of accomplishing that goal in my life, even after a time of disappointment in those years prior, that God would bring unexpected blessings into my life. I would submit to you that our God is a great God who does that. Sometimes he brings blessings we never anticipated at all, and sometimes much longer than we would have hoped to have received them. But in Abraham and Sarah's case, they did receive them. They received a son, Isaac, and when he came, they all laughed in joy at the glory of God doing the impossible thing in the midst of their lives. So a faith that endures, beyond that it is a faith that trusts God's promises while hoping for a better country. The text says in verse 13, all these, meaning all the different people in this roll call of faith, including Sarah and Abraham, all of these died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who thus speak make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. When it says that all of these died in faith, it's talking, in essence, about all of the Old Testament saints. All of those who believed and trusted in God to the degree of what they knew, put their hope in a future coming Messiah who would satisfy the justice of God and provide a way of redemption and forgiveness for them. As it were, it was a foreshadowing, looking ahead to what God would bring. And indeed, God did bring it in time. They received the thing that was promised, not in this life, but in the next. And you and I have the privilege, of course, of living in this life, and even now receiving some of the foretaste of heaven and the blessings that it brings. The text says that they have greeted them and seen them from afar, looking into the distance. They see the blessings and the fulfillment of God and that God will deliver what he has promised and that he would provide for them a homeland 
a better country, a heavenly one that would be for eter their eternal destiny and residence. A fifth area of this idea of a faith that endures is trusting God to obey him even when life is difficult. And there are times in our life where it's just plain old difficult. We don't know where to go. We don't know what to do. And maybe there's a, a test or a situation before us that seems so incredibly hard, we're not sure what to even do. Well, Abraham had one of these. It speaks of it in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham is challenged by God, ordered by God to take your son, your only son Isaac, and go up to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt sacrifice. It's unthinkable. How could such a thing ever be demanded by God? It's all against all rational thought and emotional ties, offering up his only son. And we know the rest of the story that Abraham obeyed the Lord and tied up Isaac as an offering and rose his knife or raised his knife ready to slay him, believing that God would raise him from the dead. But at that very moment, as the knife was ready to plunge, God then provided a ram stuck in the thicket. And Abraham took that ram at God's instruction and sacrificed the lamb rather than Isaac. But what we see in this whole example are two things. One, the faith of Abraham to trust God even in the midst of something excruciatingly difficult to do or contemplate. And also we see, secondly, a type of what God himself would do for us in sending forth his only son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for sins on our behalf. The Old Testament is filled with types like that, pictures of what the Lord Jesus would accomplish on our behalf. Perhaps you're in the midst of a difficult situation right now, and you're wondering what to do, uncertain about what to do. Perhaps it's sickness, and all you desire is health and healing and good prosperity in the years ahead. Or perhaps it's financial troubles, and you desire prosperity and wealth, and you wonder if God might ever bring that into your life. Or perhaps it's loneliness and sorrow, and you desire a different set of circumstances in the midst of your life. Perhaps it's emotional distress and fear, and all you really want is rest and security, knowing that things are going to turn out all right. Perhaps it's disappointments and failures, and what you desire is fulfillment and success. Or even, perhaps, it's death and grief. Someone you love has died, and there's a hole in your heart. And all you really want is comfort and care from the Lord of life. 
These are all experiences that at times see beyond our control. They're, they're difficult things, but in the midst of that, as Abraham and Sarah did, we also can have a faith that endures, that trusts God even when it is difficult. And so just to backtrack a bit, what are these five areas of trusting God and having a faith that endures? Well, trusting God while living in the midst of uncertainties. Trusting God while building your life upon God's promises. Trusting God so that you can receive unexpected blessings, things that you never considered would come your way as you obeyed and trusted God. Four, trusting God while hoping for a better country, a heavenly place, looking ahead to that return of Jesus when all things are made right and every tear is wiped away and every sickness is gone and we rejoice at his coming, the blessed hope. Or trusting God and obeying him even when it is difficult. So let us run with faith the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus and enduring, knowing that God's faith is sufficient for us. We have a faith that endures. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the example of Abraham and Sarah. We thank you for the example they can be to us in the midst of our own trials and questions of life. We pray, Lord, that you might give us grace at this time when we feel so weak and worn out. Help us to know that God is with us. He is our strength and our shield. That the promise of Jesus that I am with you even through the end of the age is a true and a faithful promise and that he keeps it in every detail. We thank you now and we pray it all in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen.